Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. As we come this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, I am reminded of something both tragic and beautiful that happened in World War II. It was at the height of the war and during the Holocaust, of course, millions and millions of people lost their lives. And Solomon Rosenberg, his wife and their two sons, along with his mother and father, they were all arrested and placed in a Nazi concentration camp. Now, this was a labor camp, and the rules, of course, in the labor camps were very, very simple. As long as you could do your work, as long as you could accomplish what they wanted you to do, you were permitted to live. When you became too weak to do your work, that was it. You were exterminated. Now, Rosenberg watched as his mother and father were marched off to their deaths. He knew that his youngest son, David, would be next because David had always been a small, frail child. And every evening, Rosenberg came back into the barracks after hours of work. And what would you do if you were him? You would search immediately for your family and look and make sure that they made it through the day. Well, that's what he did. And then they would huddle together and then they would hug and embrace one another and thank God for just another day of life. Well, one day Rosenberg came back and he didn't see those familiar faces. He finally discovered his oldest son, Joshua, weeping and crying and praying. Rosenberg said to him, Josh, tell me it's not true. But Joshua turned and said, it's true, Papa. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work, so they came for him. But where is your mother, Rosenberg, needed to know? And Joshua responded, and he says, Oh, Papa, when they came for David, he was afraid, and he cried. And Mama said to him, There is nothing to be afraid of, David. So she took his hand and went with him. This morning, as we look to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to talk about having faith when going through life's challenges. Having faith when it seems as though we're walking through some of the deepest, deepest valleys of life. Knowing that no matter how difficult things come, we can know as God's people that God is telling us we do not need to be afraid of the future because he'll walk with us. You know, the people of the Bible, we we tend to think that they were supernatural saints or something special about them, but they were people. They were people just like us. They had hopes. They had their own dreams. They had fears. They faced great problems in life. And some of them, some of them lived by faith. And these are the people that we want to follow. Now, Abraham is first in our text this morning. Abraham had to learn one of the hardest lessons that there is to learn. You see, Abraham had to learn that some of the most important things to us in life, including our family, need to come after our relationship with God. That any person or any thing that we hold as more important than God must be laid down before God and let go. God is to be our most treasured possession. And there are times when God might test us. 
And this is what Abraham found out so long ago. Now, Hebrews starts out in verse 17 by telling us this. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In our last study, if you remember, we walked through the backstory. In his old age, Abraham and Sarah finally had the son promised to them by God. And now we see that God had told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. A bit of a strange story, honestly, if you're reading through the Bible. It's a little odd, but a story with a purpose. First, let's remember that God was never going to let Abraham go through with it. It wasn't going to happen. And that is exactly what took place. God stopped him. But how could Abraham offer his son to God like that? Well, the answer is found right here in verse 19. Abraham came to the conclusion that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Isaac was as good as dead in Abraham's mind. And so this is why the text is telling us in a figurative sense in a figurative sense, Abraham received Isaac back from the dead because that is what he expected. Abraham was able to offer up his son to the Lord because why? Because he believed in God. That's the bottom line. He believed in God. Abraham believed in the power and the promise of God, knowing that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead in order to keep his promise. Now, this is a little bit different for us from today when we lose a loved one, because this was a different situation, because God had already first promised Abraham that through his son Isaac, a nation would be established. So no son meant no nation. The entire Abrahamic covenant and the plan of God to use his people was centered in one person. It was centered in Isaac. And Abraham was willing to offer up his son because he believed in both the power and in the promise of God. God would have to raise up Isaac from the dead in order to keep his promise. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Up until this point in human history, no one had ever been raised from the dead. No one had ever been raised from the dead. But Abraham determined that God could actually do it. And God was testing Abraham by instructing him to do the hardest possible thing he could be asked to do, to sacrifice his own son. Now, Abraham was able to go forward and follow God because he knew that God could do the impossible. And Abraham showed mature faith. Abraham, he didn't hesitate. He didn't stop. He didn't hesitate at all. He didn't try to bargain with God like so many of us would do. He didn't remind God how long him and Sarah had been waiting for a son. You see, his faith his faith freed him up to fully obey a command that he didn't even understand. And let's just be honest about this text. What Abraham did looked like the actions of a madman, not someone who walked with God. What is the difference? Let me ask you it this way. What is the difference between this with Abraham and the cults where they kill children or commit suicide? Well, there's a simple answer. It comes down to Abraham's trust in God's word. Abraham had walked directly with God for a number of years. And I believe the evidence of Genesis shows us that the pre-incarnate Christ walked and talked with Abraham. And so 
What I'm telling you is this. Abraham knew God. Abraham knew that God is completely good. And Abraham knew that God never commands evil. Abraham knew that God is infinitely wise and must have had a plan. Abraham knew that God is just and that God would keep his promise to Isaac. Abraham knew that God is powerful and always, always keeps his promise. So what did Abraham do? Well, the text says in Genesis, he got up early. He saddled up his donkey and he headed out to obey the God that he served. And Abraham, then he brought Isaac to the altar, tied him in place and was about to sacrifice him. And you know that God intervened. But by faith, Abraham gave his son to the Lord. You see, if you want your children to know what faith looks like, if you want to show your grandchildren what faith looks like, by faith, give your children over to the will of God. By faith, allow the Lord to use them how he sees best, because ultimately they belong to him, not to us. And like Abraham, you may not always know what God is doing in their lives, but you know the God who does. And guys, that has to be enough for us. It has to be enough. Abraham had such faith that he went up to sacrifice and look at it, what he told the men that were with him. He said this in Genesis 22. He said, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. They sound like they're from Wisconsin at this point. Go yonder and worship. And we notice we will come back to you. Isaac and I are going to worship, but both Isaac and I will come back. When Isaac questioned Abraham, we read in Genesis 22, 8, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham had shown his faith in God. Even his long-awaited son, Isaac, belonged to God. And God certainly did provide a ram to sacrifice. But here's the idea being taught in Hebrews. Faith should directly impact how you look at life, even when it comes to your family. For Abraham, he knew what God had promised him. He knew the promise of God and his faith led him to trust God, even if it meant that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead in order to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham. And for us, you see, we need to live our lives with faith that we may not see everything that God has promised us before we die. He may have to raise us from the dead in order to fulfill what he has promised. In other words, let me say it like this. The rapture may not happen in our lifetime. And if it doesn't, then every person in this room is going to have to die before we inherit God's promise to us. The only difference will be how much faith we show now and how much glory we give to God before we die. It starts when we stop looking at our experiences in life and start living by faith. Do we have the type of faith that looks beyond death? God allows his people to be tested. Abraham was tested. And I don't think really any of us wants to go through that, but that is a part of being a Christian. That is a part of being a believer. Isaac's restoration was a type. It was a parable. It was an illustration of what would come when God the Father would receive back his son by the resurrection. In other words, it shows us that God will give us exactly what he has promised, but he expects something out of us. He expects us to walk by faith. 
For the Hebrew Christians reading this letter, they were to know that they were the people of promise. And the persecution before them meant that it was death for their faith. It could have been, it could have included their own sons. That might be the path that God would take them down. But the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ would have to strengthen them. We pick up our text again with verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. At a nursing home, a group of residents were moaning about all their aches and pains. And one of the ladies said, my, my arms are, are so weak, I can hardly lift my cup of coffee. Another old man there replied, he said, yeah, I know, my cataracts are getting so bad, I can't even see my coffee. And then another said, I can't even turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck. And then an old timer in the corner added, he said, my blood pressure pills just make me dizzy, I can't see straight. And they all agreed that that was the price they paid for getting old. And then someone cheerfully added, well, it's not that bad. At least we can still drive. <laughs> There's truth there. When Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph knew the end was near, I'm sure they had aches and pains like anyone else. But I want you to notice in this text what they did. They used their last ounce of energy that they had to bless others. And there's a reason. These were the last things that they were to be remembered for. It was their final act. It was important. They told the next generation of God's people his plan for the future. God was going to do a work through them. This is For us, training up our children in the way of the Lord, showing them how God works, assuring them that they can actually trust God. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph all believed in God's promise for their people, the promise of land, a nation that would arise, and future blessings. That is why they could bless their children with a vision of a glorious future, even as they walk through difficult times. I mean, if you stop and think about Isaac, Isaac was still a stranger in the land that God had given his family. Jacob and Joseph lay dying in Egypt, far away from the promised land. And yet their faith in God's promise assured them of God's plan for their people, a plan which they shared with their children. By faith, the founders of the Hebrew nation blessed their children with God's promise for the future. And we can know that when our children come to faith in Christ, they have a future with Jesus Christ, that God will walk with them, that they can come boldly to the throne of grace, that he will meet their needs. He will provide for them and he will empower them with his strength on high. Now, Romans 8, Romans 8, it outlines God's plans for every believer. Read it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these what? 
he also glorified. Hear me, God knew you. God loved you even before you were born. That's when he determined that he would make you like his son, Jesus. So he called you into relationship with himself. He declared you to be righteous when you trusted his son with your life. And he will glorify his people someday. He will make you shine with the radiance of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's so certain in God's mind that it's expressed in the past tense. Those whom he has justified, he has glorified. That is God's certain promise to every believer. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they passed on God's promise to his people. They looked to the future. They all believed right up until the end of their lives the future that God had promised. See, the covenant given to Abraham was reaffirmed to Isaac in Genesis 26. Isaac designated Jacob as the appointed heir, and he gave a blessing to both his sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, you remember the story talking about old people. You remember that Isaac was old and he was partially blind. And he blessed the younger son, Jacob, thinking that it was Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was the firstborn and Isaac's favorite. Jacob and his mother, they schemed, they plotted, they planned to receive the blessing. It's a story of deception and greed. In order to understand the story in Genesis, recognize that there is a difference in the word of God between the birthright and a blessing. The firstborn was entitled to the birthright, but it was not until the blessing was given. And up until then, it was not his right up until the blessing was given. But when the blessing was given, it was done. But up until then, the father could take the birthright away and give it to another son. Now, once the blessing was given, the birthright could no longer be taken away. And this is why you see in the scriptures that the fathers would wait late until right before they died to pronounce the blessing. And they would look forward to the future as they gave the blessing to their children. Now, our text is focusing on the blessing given when Jacob tricked Isaac to give him the blessing over Esau. The promise of the Abrahamic covenant passed to Jacob, but this was the will of God. This was already predicted back in Genesis 25 because Rebekah was told by the Lord, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Isaac was overruled by God. Jacob received a blessing. From Jacob's son came the 12 tribes of Israel. From Jacob came the line of Christ. And from Esau came Herod. Joseph was the heir to Jacob. And before Jacob's death, Jacob pronounced a blessing on the sons of Joseph. His favorite son, Joseph, had been lost and found again, sitting in the seat of power in Egypt at the right hand of Pharaoh. Joseph had taken a Gentile bride. His two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, had been born to him. Ephraim, the younger son, was blessed by Jacob because Jacob recognized something. He recognized that this was God's plan. On his deathbed, Jacob worshipped God, even though he had a very difficult life, a challenging life, and he had not seen God's promise fulfilled in his lifetime. 
There is a reason as you walk through the pages of Genesis that you see God's original, unconditional, and eternal covenant that God made with Abraham. It's repeated to Isaac and again to Jacob and then to Joseph, and it's passed down by faith. The fathers of the Hebrew people reiterated the promise of God to his people. They looked to the day when it would be fulfilled. Joseph Joseph, he lived such a great life of faith. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. You think you have family problems. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. God had other plans for this faithful servant. His faith was remarkable. The way that his family treated him was horrible. It would make you think he would have abandoned his faith. But the adversity he faced, what did it do? It made his faith grow stronger. Even in the pagan land of Egypt, it didn't weaken his trust in God. Joseph did not use his family. Hear me on this. Joseph did not use his family and how they treated him as an excuse for unbelief. It would have been easy. But Joseph, he knew what he believed, that God would one day deliver his people from Egypt. Once Joseph came into power, boy, there was a trap there. Joseph could have used his position in Egypt to build a personal empire, but he didn't. He remembered God's promise to Abraham. Just before he died, Joseph reiterated his own faith in the promise of God. We read it in Genesis 50, verse 24, where it says, And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. See, Joseph knew where he belonged. He knew where he belonged. For Joseph, his faith in God led him to be certain that one day God would restore the descendants of Jacob to the land of promise. He was so certain that God would actually fulfill his word, that God would do what he said, that just before he died at age 110, he made the people promise with an oath that when they finally went to the land, when they finally returned to the land, they would carry his bones from Egypt to the promised land. Now keep in mind, that the Exodus didn't take place for a couple hundred years after. But in Exodus 13, 19, we read that Moses took the bones of Joseph and they carried them for 40 years in the wilderness. And then finally, Joshua had them buried in Shechem in the ground that Jacob had purchased. Joseph looked forward to the promise that God had made, believing in a future Exodus from Egypt that involved considerable faith back in that day. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, four generations of faith. But let's be honest about this. These were imperfect men, imperfect men who sometimes failed, but men of faith, men of faith, men who trusted the word of God. They handed down the promise of God from one generation to another. And then we read in verse 23 in Hebrews, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. Pharaoh had decreed that every newborn Hebrew male child be thrown into the river. But when Moses was born, his parents, they refused. They refused to do it. They disobeyed the king and hid baby Moses for three months because they feared God more than any person. And their respect and their love for God gave them the courage to do what was right, even if it meant certain death. By faith, we can be bold to obey our God, even if the people of this world don't like it. 
Peter Cartwright, he was not afraid to be bold for Christ. If you've never studied him, he was a preacher in the 1800s. He was one of these traveling preachers who rode from town to town, from church to church. And one particular Sunday before the service, he was told, President Andrew Jackson is here. Be careful what you say. So when Cartwright stood up to preach, he said, I understand that Andrew Jackson is here and I have been requested to be guarded in my remarks. And then he said this, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent. Well, and the congregation was shocked and wondered how the president would respond. And after the service, President Jackson just shook hands with Cartwright and he told him this. He said, sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. Ain't that true? Because he was a man who feared God more than he feared any man. It was his fear of God that gave him the courage to stand up to any man, even those with great power. And that's what faith in Christ does for you. It gives you the courage to obey God, even when others might be offended. Fear God more than you fear anybody else. By faith, be bold. Now, I'm not talking arrogance, and I'm not talking about being prideful, but I am talking about being bold for Jesus Christ. By faith, be bold to obey our God. By faith, have the courage to do what is right, even if the whole world is going against us, even if the whole world is doing what is wrong. Take a risk, Christian. Take a stand for Jesus Christ in the way that you live your life. For the younger people, you know, it means this. It means choosing to remain pure, even if that means losing your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It means running a business with integrity, even if it means losing a customer. It means to work for the glory of God at your job, even when others don't. It means to obey Christ no matter what someone else says or thinks about us. And for the parents of Moses, they considered God's will about the sanctity of human life. And boy, is there an application there today. They considered God's will about the sanctity of human life more important than obedience to the state. And God honored their faith. They risked their own lives to honor God because their faith drove out fear. They looked for a way for their son's life to be spared. Their faith was at work even when it was hard, so hard, it was difficult, it was painful. And the wording here is that he was a beautiful child. Acts 7 tells us it's interesting wording that Moses was beautiful before God. His beauty convinced his parents that he was no ordinary child and emboldened them to believe that he was special, that God had something better in store for this child than just death, because this was the child of destiny. And so his parents defied danger. They trusted God to save Moses, and God rewarded their faith. His parents chose to obey God rather than a man who thought he was a God. Hiding the child and floating him down the Nile River was to trust God to take care of their child. That took incredible faith. They had no other options. But I want you to think about this one small act of faith. It set off a series of events that eventually led to the rescue of the Hebrew people from Egypt. And that is what we see next, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You know, Moses, he could have had it all. 
He really could have had it all. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. Wealth and power awaited him in Egypt. A high position in Pharaoh's court awaited him. The temptation to stay, maybe even to try to help God's people from Pharaoh's court, oh, that would have been a powerful temptation. But Moses forsook it all, choosing to suffer affliction with God's people. When Moses killed an Egyptian, he was making a a choice. He killed that Egyptian who was mistreating a Hebrew person, and he made a choice to be with his people. And it's because his eyes were on a bigger prize. His eyes were on the invisible Lord God himself. And he valued that relationship more than any relationship here on earth. Verse 25 has a subtle teaching tucked into it. It says that the passing pleasure of sin, this would have been for Moses, this would have been the sin to abandon God's people, to sit in that life of luxury in Egypt while God's people suffered. But I wonder how many of us are willing to take that same stand and suffer for Christ, or do we like the comfort we have too much in this Western world? You see, the reproach of Christ is the earthly disgrace that Christ suffered. And the author's just telling us this. He's saying that like Christ, Moses chose to suffer with God's people. If the Hebrew Christians wanted to follow Moses, and they did, they wanted to follow Moses, they should look to his example of suffering for Christ. Moses, he looked forward. He looked for the reward because he knew that the heavenly reward of God is greater than the wealth of Egypt. Scripture gives us this often as a motivation for following Jesus Christ, looking for that eternal reward that comes from God. It kept Moses from trading heavenly things for earthly things. Now, this is the lesson the writer of Hebrews has been trying to really drive home because the Hebrew Christians, they were standing where Moses stood. In the world, you know, it offers us such a comfortable life if we simply will just give up our hope in Christ. And then we read this. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Pharaoh, if you remember from your history class, was considered to be the incarnation of Ra, the chief Egyptian god. Moses could have pressed on in the worldly system. He could have pressed on with that goal of trying to become Pharaoh one day, trying to become, according to men, a god. But instead, what did he do? He submitted. He submitted to the invisible God, the only one true God. Moses showed courage when he led the people out of Egypt. He left the palace and he never went back to his old life. He identified with the Hebrew slaves. And I have to think that Moses wrestled with this for years in his heart before he finally left. But by faith, what do we see? Moses left Egypt. By faith, you can actually do the same thing. Because by faith, you can forsake anything that this world has to offer you for a closer walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, fear God more than man. And notice the end of the verse with me. Moses, he endured as seeing him who is what? Invisible. Meaning Moses focused on the invisible. Moses focused on God. Our last two verses, starting in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, choose to believe God enough to obey him. 
And this is what we find in Moses. And this is what we find in the Hebrew people. You know, while they were still in Egypt, God told them to sprinkle the blood of a lamb on the posts of their doorways. And the death angel was about to come and kill every firstborn male in every house in Egypt. But anyone who would stand under the blood of the lamb would be spared. Exodus 12, 23 teaches us a frightening verse. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So that's what Israel did in obedience to God. Maybe it didn't make any sense to them. Nothing like this had ever been seen before. But what did they do? They still obeyed. And the Lord protected his people who obeyed. They stood underneath the blood of the lamb. Every firstborn Egyptian was killed in this final plague against Egypt. In Exodus, again, it teaches us, it says, So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where there was not one dead. God not only delivered his people from death, God also delivered them from Egypt. Enslaved by Pharaoh for nearly 400 years, they were now ordered out of Egypt, but their troubles, of course, were still far from over. And after Israel fled, Pharaoh recognized that he had just let millions and millions of slaves go. So what does he do? He changes his mind and he comes after them with the army. And then that's when Israel found herself backed up right up against the Red Sea. And there was a mountain to her right and a mountain to her left. And the Egyptian army was out front closing off any way of escape. And the Hebrew people leaving Egypt, you know, so many times we see them in the word of God described as timid and complaining and whining. And that's when God told them this in Exodus 14, 15. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, cross the sea, and by faith they did. Exodus 14 says Moses raised his staff, God divided the waters, and Israel went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. It had to be terrifying, but God, God was with them. Then along come the Egyptians thinking that they could do it too. So they gave it a try to find themselves way in over their heads. They couldn't do what God's people did because they didn't have what? Faith. They didn't have God working in their lives. And here is a lesson for us as believers. Faith allows us to do what other people cannot do. Faith allows us and helps us to see the things that the unregenerate man cannot see. Faith means we can have hope when the world cannot. Faith means we can live for the glory of God when the world cannot. Faith means we can have fellowship with God when the world cannot. Because these things only come through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Unbelief cannot stand where faith stands. Moses and the Israelites were able to cross the Red Sea on dry ground, dry ground, because they believed God. And the Egyptians, they drowned in that same sea because they believed only in themselves. Judgment comes to those who do not live by faith. One of the things I've learned in my walk with the Lord, I'm getting the fact that I'm old. 
and I've walked with Christ for a long, long time. But I understand certain things, and God's taught me many, many lessons along the way. And one of the things I've learned over the years is that God's grace arrives not ahead of time, but it arrives just as we seem to need it most. His grace is sufficient for every challenge, even if we're lonely, even if we're sick, yes, and even if we're tortured, even then. Michael Sattler, if you've never studied this man, I encourage you to go home, buy a book, study this man. His faith will encourage you. His faith will strengthen you. He was born in Germany around 1490. I loved his diligence that he had. Michael became a Benedictine monk, and as he studied Paul's letters, he started to see some problems with with this. He grew a little dissatisfied, and so he left the monastery. He married, and then he became a Lutheran. But sometime later, he became convinced of believer's baptism, and he became an Anabaptist. Well, his ministry, it began to uh, attract converts to the faith, but it also made him plenty of enemies. Sattler and his wife and a handful of associates were arrested in the mid-1520s. They were imprisoned in the Tower of Binsdorf when he wrote this following letter to his flock. Listen to his words from what seems in our perspective so long ago. The brethren have doubtless informed you that some of us are in prison. Numerous accusations were preferred against us by our adversaries. At one time, they threatened us with the gallows. At another time, with fire and sword. In this extremity, I surrendered myself entirely to the Lord's will and prepared myself together with all my brethren and my wife to die for his testimony's sake. Now, on May the 20th of 1527, his torture, which was a prelude to his execution, it began at the city center where the first thing they did, and I'm stripping some of the gruesome things out, but the first thing they did was they sliced his tongue. Then his flesh was torn from his body with red hot tongues over and over and over again. Still able to speak, Sattler prayed. You see, he prayed for his persecutors. Then he was tied to a ladder with ropes and pushed into the fire, but he still couldn't be silenced. From the fire, he told the people, the judges and the mayor, to be converted to Jesus Christ. And then he prayed this. He said, Almighty, eternal God, thou art the way and the truth. Because I've not been shown to be an heir, I will, with thy help, satisfy to the truth and seal it with my blood. And as soon as the ropes on the wrists were burned off, Sattler, he raised his two fingers in his hand, giving up a signal that he had promised to give his brothers in the faith that dying a martyr's death was actually bearable. And then the assembled crowd heard coming from his seared lips, Father, I commend my spirit into thy hands. Sattler's wife was executed by drowning eight days later. Faith makes it possible to endure things that we could never think possible. Faith makes it possible for us to stand for Jesus Christ. And compared to the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before, and compared to the persecution that will come under the reign of the Antichrist for the tribulation saints, most of what you and I endure in life are very little things, but yet so few Christians today stand. And I can't help but wonder if our faith is weak. I can't help but wonder if we have become so focused on enjoying what we have in this Western world, in our little lives on earth, that we have lost sight of our heavenly destination. 
Or maybe we're thinking that faith means God has to be good to me, giving me what I want. But that's not faith, is it? That's not trust in the Creator. That's not living out the Word of God in our life. Faith leads to obedience because faith is trust in what God has already instructed in his word. So find your purpose in Christ, trust his character, and then stand in his strength looking to the reward and glory. The grace of God, it arrives just as we need it. So let it lead you, Christians, in a life of faith as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.